Thyroid, Gut Health, and Depression with Dr. Kylie Burton. Episode 133 on Alternative Health Tools podcast, where together we discover and share new alternative health tools and resources from alternative healthcare practitioners and experts. everybody. Welcome to Alternative Health Tools. This is Kim Shea, your host on this side of the pond. Today is Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. And I have a treat for you. We have Dr. Kylie Burton back here again to speak with us. She's a doctor of chiropractic medicine and is certified in functional medicine. Her focus is on healing beyond the diagnosis. She helps you to have hope that's really her main focus is to give you hope and give you answers and healing through the functional medicine spin on what are quote unquote your normal labs. Today, Dr. Burton is going to talk with us about thyroid, gut health, and depression, how they all tie together. And on thyroid, we're going to look at why your thyroid labs are normal and yet you still have symptoms and four factors that are destroying your thyroid, what you need to know that your doctor might not be telling you. On gut health, we're going to talk about diarrhea and constipation and how to eat food again and not have a regret that you ate it for days later. And finally, we'll look at depression, anxiety, and infection and vitamin D protocol that she has to help curb those symptoms. Welcome, Dr. Kylie, to Alternative Health Tools. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. We have a lot to talk about today. It's great to have you back again. Um, really appreciated having you talk last time with us. So in case people haven't heard your previous one, and you should look at it if you haven't, but can you tell us again how you got into doing what you do? So I grew up Western medicine, nothing wrong about it. There's just limited toolkits. And I wanted to expound upon my toolkit. I got introduced to functional medicine as I was working as an assistant to a chiropractor. And the funny thing is, is when he hired me, I, I had no idea what chiropractic even was. Um, so he, I'd never experienced an adjustment before. I never did, never walked into the chiropractor's office. And I was like 22 years old. I just graduated with my bachelor's degree in nutrition thinking that, you know, I, I like this concept of food being able to help people feel better. Only everything I learned with my bachelor's degree has now been thrown out the window with functional medicine that takes it to a whole new level. So I really decided that, you know, I want to be able to help people who have been tossed from doctor to doctor to doctor, who have had zero answers, who keep getting told that their labs are normal, yet they still aren't feeling like themselves or their hair is falling out. They've got brain fog. They have no energy. So their symptoms are real. And yet they keep getting told that their labs are normal. So I had to promise myself if I wanted to find different results, I had to look at people differently. I'm going to teach you guys how to do that right here in specific regards to the thyroid first. That sounds great. Okay, well, why don't you lead the way and talk about normal labs? I mean, that's kind of a standard blood test when you go in and you complain of anything as they check your thyroid, I think, especially if you're a woman. But uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so our thyroid, our, our labs in general, we want our labs to be normal. That's a good thing because when they're not normal, then it's like we have a disease. And now they can plaster a diagnosis next to our name and give us a pill to manage these for the rest of our life, right? So we want normal labs. That's the trick. But even though they're normal, they might not be ideal. So we take that normal lab range and we condense it and make it smaller. 
And that's the ideal lab range. And let's use the thyroid lab for great example. The thyroid lab marker that everybody takes is the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Now that TSH can be a bugger. It can be very tricky because you can have a great TSH number and have all the thyroid symptoms. So let's look at this from, an, from a different perspective and say, okay, a TSH normal lab range, depending on the lab, but overall, generally, it's 0.5 to 5.5. That's a pretty big range. And if we were to say, I want to find my ideal TSH within that lab range, that's like trying to find your favorite restaurant somewhere between California and New York. Okay. Good luck. All right. Right? Okay. Yeah. But if I can say, you know what, your TSH, your ideal number falls somewhere inside Utah or somewhere inside Ohio or somewhere inside Florida, wherever, if we can take that and make it much smaller, I'm going to get better results. And we're going to figure out why you have normal thyroid labs, but they might not be ideal and then conquer based off of those ideal lab ranges. So an ideal lab range from TSH is taking a normal lab range that's 0.5 to 5.5 and condensing it and making it smaller from into 1.8 to 3. For me, that's an ideal TSH lab range. I don't come up with that. I don't come up with any of my functional medicine lab ranges. Um, there's a doctor by the name of Dr. Karazian. He's got a million and a half letters next to his name, one of those guys. Um, he did all the research and created these, these functional medicine ranges for us all. So the TSH is between 1.8 and 3. Okay, can I interrupt you for a second and ask you, because you keep using this term, functional medicine. Can you define that? Yeah, functional medicine is, when it's done right, it can be very powerful. But functional medicine is being a term tossed around by individuals who you know might have just attended a weekend seminar, and now call them functional medicine docs. Most of the people that I help and see have already tried someone who's called themselves functional medicine. So functional medicine is personalized medicine, and it's getting down to the why, the why behind how you feel. And then once you find the why, we resolve it. But just be careful, not all functional medicine is created equal. All right. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. All right. So when it comes to your thyroid and your, your TSH marker specifically, now you're saying, oh, I'm at 1.2. I'm normal, but I'm not good. No wonders why I'm tired and my hair's falling out and I have brain fog and might even feel a little constipated. All of those follow along with the thyroid, even though you're, quote, still normal, right? Mm -hmm. So if we say, okay, if my TSH is 1.2, it's on the low end of the ideal. What produces my TSH? What's responsible for producing it? And you're probably all thinking, well, thyroid, because the thyroid, it's a thyroid hormone marker. So, of course, the thyroid produces it, and it doesn't, which is why a lot of people get the thyroid rolling. TSH, the number one most common lab marker taken for thyroid, is not a thyroid marker. It is produced by the pituitary gland. And that pituitary gland is this little teeny gland that if you were to draw a line down the center of your head from both sides, where it would cross is where the gland sits. It's this teeny tiny gland that produces TSH, which then talks to your thyroid. Okay. So if my thyroid, if my TSH is low, I have to think, okay, if my pituitary, if P is responsible for producing it, why is P 
having a hard time producing it. What's making pee feel sluggish, right? There's two factors. The first factor is this lovely word called stress. <laughs> stress literally impacts your thyroid by lowering your TSH. Now, along with stress is this gland that produces cortisol um, in response to our stress levels called the adrenals. So the adrenals and the thyroid go hand in hand. Now, Kim, if you're like me, you have a busy life. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of outside stressors that inside the government and inside the world that we can't control. So for you and for me to tell a mom or a grandma or a dad or an aunt or an uncle to figure out some ways to lower their stress levels in their life, it's not going to be very easy, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So what I like to say and I, what I like to find is if we can find an internal stressor, something that's causing us stress from the inside of our body and remove it, now we can handle the external stressors a lot easier. Okay? That's a great idea. Okay. We'll get into those internal stressors. I got to finish the thyroid chat though. Okay. Okay. So we have the stressor that's lowering the TSH. Then the second factor is the inflammation, right? No, people toss this word around like it's the end all be all for everything. Well, I have inflammation. Oh, yeah. I yeah. have that's why my knees hurt. That's why my head hurts. You know, that's why I have migraines or whatever. Inflammation is this word that gets used a lot and it's actually commonly misunderstood. But if we were to say if my if stress and inflammation make my pituitary pee have a hard time producing TSH, what if we were to find that internal cause of stress, because it's most likely going to be the same cause of inflammation. Now we get rid of two birds with one stone, and then our thyroid automatically feels better. Huh. Right? Right. So that's the first two factors that are causing damage to the thyroid, which your doctor doesn't know. Factors three and four, we got to go down the food chain a little bit. So we've talked about how the pituitary produces TSH, which then talks to the thyroid. You're going to understand your thyroid labs better right now than you ever will either. But then most doctors understand them. T4, a hormone is produced by the thyroid. So the thyroid is responsible for producing the hormone T4. That hormone has to get converted into a hormone called T3. There's two places. The thyroid does that? There's two places where that conversion takes place, right? So the thyroid produces T4, and then T4 goes into our gut and our liver. That's where it gets converted into T3. T3, the reason why we care about that T3 so much is because T3 goes out and talks to every single cell in our body and it tells our cells to, hey, you need to speed up your metabolism so we can lose weight. It tells our cells to uh, improve our brain function so we don't have brain fog. It tells our cells to build healthy and strong hair and healthy and vibrant skin and nails and all that fun stuff. Like the T3 literally goes out to tell every single cell in the body, communicate with it. And if we don't have enough, now the communication chain is broken. So now we can't lose weight. We don't, we have brain fog. We can't, our energy levels are depleted. All these things we associate with the thyroid. And yes, it's a thyroid problem, but the thyroid is just one piece of a system. And when you can clean up the entire system, which is what we just discussed, was the stress, the inflammation. Now we've got the factor three and four, which are gut and liver. You clean all those up, now your thyroid feels great. Thyroid meds are no thyroid meds. 
And that's why so many people get the thyroid wrong. Okay. But thyroid meds would help with with this whole chain? So the thyroid med itself, we're talking, they're going to be producing T4 and T3. As far as I'm aware, there's no thyroid medication for TSH. That being said, most the number one marker for, for thyroid is TSH. And then prescriptions are given based off of that marker. When should they be? Hmm. That's all system Should be here. the T4 like a and whole... the T3. Because those are the, that's okay. what the medications are. Medications are either T4 only, T3 only, or a combination of the two. So if we're looking at that, now we're feeding the bottom of the food chain, forgetting everything else above it that's affecting the rest of it downstream. So someone might have a, a low free T4 and a low free T3. They're given levothyroxine or nature thyroid or armor thyroid or cytomel. Or those are the, the big common ones. Synthroid. Um, they're given one of those medications to boost the T4 and T3, the bottom of the food chain. But if I can say, okay, my TSH is low, everything downstream is going to be low too because that's the product at the very top of the totem pole. If we don't have enough product to make everything downstream, now we're, we're faltering. Okay, right? makes sense. So there's your four factors in the thyroid. Now, when we talk about the stressor, that internal stressor, that's where we can get into this additional component called a low-grade hidden infection. And I see this a lot with thyroid, Hashimoto's and thyroid hyper or hypothyroid in general. Now, this infection is a major, probably 95% cause of the internal stressor that we're dealing with. Okay. Hashimoto's, the most common trigger for Hashimoto's is Epstein-Barr virus, a viral infection. So we can identify if we have this viral infection or an infection in general, I should say, with just our regular blood work. And we're going to be told that that blood work is normal, but we want it to be normal. It's just not ideal, right? So this blood work, this blood panel that we all have, because it's the number one blood panel that we all receive as a precursor to anything, it's called a CBC, complete blood count. Ideally, you want a CBC with differential. Now, if you were to go tell your doctor, you know, I'm going to go in for my physical next week, what lab should I get? Make sure that even if you're just worried about your thyroid, you should be getting a regular blood panel too and tell them to get a CBC with differential. Then I'll teach you right now how to read it. Okay. And what does differential mean? Like, so, so there's a CBC without differential and there's one with? Yes. The CBC okay. without differential is missing pieces of the puzzle, whereas the differential has more markers, more pieces of an individual's puzzle. Okay, got it. And I request a lot of medical, I request thousands of medical records. And most of the time they have a CBC with differential, um, which just means, hey, I've got more pieces of the puzzle for, for somebody's health story. And when it ha doesn't have that differential portion, which is five markers that it, that's missing, I get so irritated because it's just one checkbox that they admit they didn't check and it misses huge pieces to people's health puzzles. And I'll explain why. Okay. Okay. So the very top marker inside this CBC blood work is called a white blood cell count, WBC, right? WBC, white blood cell count, is responsible for fighting infections. It's what it does. 
what white blood cells do. They help keep us healthy. Ideally, now these are not normal ranges. This is the ideal range. So you're going to get told that this lab range is normal. Go pull it up. Go see what it is in your patient portal or if you have the, the hard copy of it. And look at that white blood cell count is less than five or greater than eight. We're fighting an infection. That infection can be a big time internal stressor that's making your pituitary struggle to produce TSH, which is making your thyroid slow, which is making your hair fall up and the energy drained and weight loss. Just forget it. It's not happening. Right. Does that make sense, Kim? Oh, yeah, it makes sense. And it's just like it's a whole it's like this whole brain system here. You know, like the, the brain does all these things, but this thyroid does all these things too. And then all the things associated with it do all these things. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. I always say that the body is one incredible machine with multiple systems and each system it impacts another. So we've got yeah. all these endocrinologists, specialists and GI specialists and cardiologists and all these specialists, right? That focus on a key system. Well, if we're only focusing on one system and not paying attention to how everything else is affecting it, we're going to have some issues. Yeah, it's fascinating. You're a great teacher. Thank you. Huh. I never thought I would be teaching my whole entire career, but <laughs> people need to know this. You seem I, like I a natural. I want people to know this, so I'm going to teach it. And I actually teach doctors this too. I teach them every Tuesday how to read lab. Good. That's great to hear. Today we talked about the iron panel. So with you guys and your listeners, we're going to talk about, we have talked about the thyroid, the four factors destroying the thyroid that your doctor doesn't know, why the TSH is going to be normal, but not ideal. And then along with that four factors, this infection component, that's actually surprisingly a big cause of depression. Because if our body is constantly fighting something, it's just going to give up and shut down depression. Or on the other hand, is we're constantly fighting something, say it's a viral component, we're always on edge, so it won't take much to throw us into an anxiety attack. Hmm, this all makes yeah. sense. Okay. Anxiety and depression also go along with thyroid. A lot of people have thyroid issues with anxiety and depression. So figure out the, the infection component. It'll be huge, 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 huge for whatever the story is, health story. You can conquer a lot of things by conquering the infection. Now, that infection can be viral, it can be bacterial, it can be fungal, like candida, and it can be parasitic. Those are the big four types of infections. And these are, remember, these are low-grade hidden infections, so don't go running to your doctor and telling you then that they ha you have an infection and that's why your thyroid is having issues, because they're not going to understand it, but you do, and so you know what you need to do, Okay. So all of these infections, we can talk about the viral, the, the parasitic, the bacterial, the fungal. They Most of them, um, the a majority of these infections are found in our gut. And our gut is the small and the large intestine. That's what I'm talking about specifically in regards to gut. Now, the most common infection, especially with thyroid issues, is a low-grade virus. And a lot of people will say, well, I had, you know, I was just literally on the phone with a, with a guy right before this. And I was looking through his labs for him because he got put on testosterone. He was doing that bioidentical uh, testosterone replacement therapy. And he was on crazy, crazy high doses of it, injecting himself every single week with testosterone. It wasn't doing anything for him. He didn't feel any different with it. And I'm like, 
you you should like have crazy energy, crazy libido. Like this should be something that's a big difference if testosterone is the culprit. It wasn't. For him, I literally just diagnosed him with Hashimoto's, a thyroid issue, the autoimmune component. I was able to do that based off of some patterns that I found inside his thyroid panel, but then also getting down into this infection component. And I said to him, I said, do you ever, have you ever had a history of Epstein-Barr virus? Oh yeah, I got diagnosed with it at 17 and in high school. I remember someone diagnosed me with it. And, but I don't remember if we did anything about it. I mean, he's in his fifties now. So it was a while ago, but when we have that history of Epstein-Barr virus, that virus is there all the time. I mean, we're fighting viruses in us all the time anyways. Just this one has a name. So Epstein-Barr virus, also known as mono, can be active at a low level, but enough to put our body under stress. Enough to say, you know, something's not right with me. I don't have the energy I used to have. My hair's falling out, but yet my thyroid labs keep coming back as normal. So this is a low-grade virus. It's a low-grade infection. If if you were to get an actual positive infection test, especially with Epstein-Barr virus, like you have to be so exhausted that you can't even walk up five stairs. Or I had a teenager just get diagnosed with it, and he literally will wake up, and then two hours later, he falls asleep on the couch. Like He could just sleep anywhere. Like that's, that's the level it has to be for the test to become positive. But it can still be this lower-grade activity level that's still just I don't feel like myself, you know, have the energy I used to have, but I'm not as bad as it could be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so what you're saying is the the average person who has the low grade impact from this low grade infection isn't going to be having these extremely severe symptoms and therefore is not going to be picked up by their doctor or their labs. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's good to know. It's good to know because I'm sure there's a lot of people have been exposed to it and just really don't know it because they're not having these horrific side effects from it. Yeah. Okay. So the viral infection's big, especially with thyroid. The next most common infection that I see just in general, no matter what the how chaotic the health history is, is a bacterial infection. Now this bacterial infection, again, is something where if you were to go get tested for H. pylori or C. diff, or Campylobacter, or E. coli, whatever bacterial infection we want to call it, it won't come back positive. Thank heavens. Because to get a positive test with one of those bacterial strains, like you literally can't control your bathroom problems. Diarrhea is so bad that you probably, you're like, I just came back from Africa, or I all of a sudden have to go to the bathroom 10 times and I cannot be away from a bathroom because it's that urgent. That's what would be So that'll be a positive that's what would be positive test for the test. Okay. So you know, thank heavens it's not positive in most cases. <laughs> but it can be a point of bacterial infection where I have constant chronic constipation. Where someone's taking magnesium and they can't have a bowel movement without taking magnesium or Miralax or some type of stool softener kind of thing. So we're looking at people who have dealt with with constipation. And, and I will have people say, oh, I remember being constipated as, as a teenager. In fact, I had to go get my stomach pumped one time because I didn't have a bowel movement for like two weeks. Wow. So we're talking okay. constipation, maybe someone like, hey, I don't, I don't have a bowel movement, maybe, you know, three, 
four days. Now you can have a bacterial infection that causes the opposite effect, which is the diarrhea. And the diarrhea, I was also on a phone call with a lady today. I was going through her labs and had a couple of questions for her. And she was saying how her bowel movements are at least two times a day. So two, three, four times a day. And she says the problem is, is that sometimes they'll be urgent. And I have to find a bathroom immediately or else I'm in big trouble. So these are the type of bacterial infections, the results that we're, we're talking about right here. And, and this stuff, it's not a lack of magnesium. It's not a lack of Miralax. It's, you know, it's not um, something that we should just take lightly and sugarcoat because a lot of times these things will end up with IBS or Crohn's or IBD or ulcerated colitis, like those types okay. of GI issues. Now, right. if you have one of those, this is what's causing it. And now you know how to remove it here in a minute. This bacterial infection that I often like to call is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, S-I-B-O. Okay. okay. Now there's different types of bacteria in our gut. And I always like to say like, there's never a one size fits all protocol for your gut. So don't buy the magic pill. Don't buy the magic test kit. Like there's, there's no magic, anything out there. They might help in the short term. Um, but your gut is unique, is, is as unique as your fingerprint. We mm. have so many strains, so many var varieties at different quantities that it is your fingerprint. Your gut is your fingerprint. But this bacterial infection, there's two main types of bacteria that produce two different types of gases. And depending on what type of gas is being produced inside your gut, depends on if it's more on the constipation side or the other gas, if it's more on the diarrhea side. Make hmm. sense? Yeah. Now, a lot of these people who have these issues, these gut issues that are unresolved and chronic and nobody can figure out why, they eliminate a lot of food culprits. So now they've, they're not eating dairy or soy or gluten or peanut butter or eggs, or a lot of them will even eliminate like the most common foods and, and only eat. I've had... At a 14-year-old boy, he, he literally was only eating chicken and rice because that's wow. what his gut could tolerate. But even then, it was still mm -hmm. six, seven times a day he was having bowel movements. Jeez. To the point where okay. he came in one time when I had a brick-and-mortar practice, now I'm all virtual, but he said, he's like, Dr. Kylie, I feel constipated now. So what do you mean you're constipated? How many times are you having a bowel movement? One time a day. And I just looked at his mom and I smiled and I said, buddy, that's normal. That's called yeah. normal. <laughs> but for him, it was so bizarre that he was telling me, telling me he was constipated. That's funny. And we literally just tackled the SIBO and, you know, he's 15 years old, did scout camp and did all the normal things a 15 year old kid could do now because he wasn't having to be homeschooled and always be by a bathroom and then wash his food and take oh. so much. So a lot of times these people are dealing with the SIBO. And if you were to look up a SIBO diet, it's called a low FODMAP diet. It's it's intense. It gets pretty, pretty strict. And okay. I know, Kim, you're a fan of food. I'm a fan of food. I like food. I like food. I like food. Food is part of life <laughs> that should be enjoyed, not just survived, right? So if we can yeah. get rid of this SIBO, kill the bad guys, replenish the good guys, heal, heal the leaky gut, do all the necessary work to do the gut right, now they can go, like this 14-year-old boy, he can go enjoy Wendy's on Friday night with his friends, whereas he never could before. Mm. And another, another mom, um, she just got married, actually. She's like 23 years old. 
was always scared to go on dates because she didn't want to be that person that scrutinized mm. the menu and couldn't eat anything because she knew she would regret it for days later. Now she's getting married. So a lot of these gut issues are also causing the food sensitivities. And yes, remove the food sensitivities for now. That's a great place to start. Then fix right. the gut and rehab the gut so you can get the food back in and not have to live on such a strict diet. And yeah, really live. That's exactly. great. Really live. <laughs> okay, thank you. So a lot of times people will also reach for food sensitivity testing. In fact, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed just the other day and I have the hardest time not commenting on these things, but I, I <laughs> bypass it really fast. Um, there is a food test kit that said, hey, we'll test you know the 96 top foods for you and identify which one is your culprit or which ones are your culprit. And it almost like shattered my heart when I looked at the image because the image had all sorts of fruits and vegetables on there. Now, I didn't dive into it. I won't even tell you the brand name because it's irrelevant. There's a million and a half food sensitivity test kits out there that are like, hey, 99 bucks, you can go do this. Where where these foods, even if you're getting an IgG test from your doctor or some food, food test kit you're ordering from Facebook, whatever it is, there's a big time problem with them because they identify the food culprit in only one form. And that one form is usually the raw form. So say you're getting your food sensitivity kit done and it comes back and you're positive for broccoli, cauliflower, and carrots. I had, an, I had a, uh, she's in her, in her 50s and she kept getting these food sensitivity pest, tests done. She swore by them and she had this immaculate garden. She wouldn't eat anything out of her garden because her food sensitivity test told her that she was sensitive to all these normal right fruits and vegetables oh. like we're oh, taking that's tragic we're taking it to such extremes now and and so people don't understand these food sensitivity kits they're only testing for food in the raw form so raw broccoli raw cauliflower raw carrots but then when you cook them or steam them for example the protein structure of that vegetable changes and that might not be positive on this food sensitivity panel, okay? Say you combine your broccoli with like a casserole. You cook the broccoli inside the casserole. Well, now you've combined it with other foods and you've changed the protein structure as well. Not necessarily the same protein structure that was identified in the food sensitivity kit. So just know if you're getting these food sensitivity kits, unless you're going through Vibrant America Labs, they're being very short-handed. They're handing you pieces of the puzzle, not the whole puzzle. I mean, you'd be eliminating entire categories of food mm. that are really healthy for you that you could probably consume, yeah. just maybe in a different way, you're saying. Yeah, okay. and I've seen it a lot. Food, Like removing the food sensitivities, the food culprits, it's a great place to start. And then fix the gut so you can eat them again. It's not a great place to end. Like I know a dad who has, he's a lawyer. And his health has been so bad that he hasn't reached out to me yet. I'm waiting for the time when I get the phone call. But his health has been so bad that he can't even be the, a lawyer anymore. So his school teacher wife is now paying the bills. I mean, there's a big difference in financial. Yeah. But he, his family and himself, they've cut out sugar. No sugar, no simple carbs, like no fruits or fruits either for over three years. Just trying to figure out some way to help dad. It is health. And it hasn't and has it been working? Gone them very far. No. 
Okay. Wow. That's sad. So people are doing it and it's a great place to start, but don't think like you have to live like that forever. Okay. There's hope. Yeah. Just do the gut right. Okay. And you can resolve these food sensitivity kits and then save the money. In fact, just save the money and have somebody help you, have myself help you if, if that's the case. And walk your walk you through a detailed gut protocol and make sure it's specific for you. And if you have this bacterial infection, if your bowel movements aren't quite regular daily, then look at the SIBO component and tackle it. And there's a lot of people who will say that they can help tackling SIBO. I mean, you can even go to your GI doctor and, and GI specialists are now becoming aware of this term and they'll give you a antibiotic for it. And the problem with that is antibiotics are great at, at killing things, but then we're going to rebuild it. So once we've killed it, we've got to heal the leaky gut and rebuild it with a variety of probiotics and prebiotics and fiber and enzymes and hydrochloric acid. It's not just, hey, I'm going to take this probiotic to prevent what the antibiotic did. The probiotic is a great source or a great tool. And in fact, sometimes people will take probiotics and they have SIBO and it makes things worse. Oh, wow. So probiotics are just not the magic pill for gut. And it's not the magic pill for overcoming SIBO either. It's a multifaceted approach. So just make sure you're doing it right with someone who's trained and very successful in it. Okay. Like Dr. Kylie. Yeah, like myself. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know a lot. So, um, in, in the um the previous podcast that we did, you you talked about leaky gut. You brought that up a few times today. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, leaky gut is a piece of the puzzle when it comes to gut stuff, but it's just a piece. A lot of people will say, "Well, I have leaky gut, so I have migraines. I have leaky gut, so I have X Y Z. Whatever it is." And and you, they're right, but leaky gut is just a piece of the puzzle. And when I say leaky gut, I'm talking your, your small and your large intestine, they're crazy cool because one cell protects the inside of your GI tract from your bloodstream. Just one cell. That's it. So your lining of your small and your large intestine, it's one cell thick. And because we live in 21st century environment, there are factors that harm the inside of our body in which we have no control over. So those cells should be tight, really tight so nothing gets through. The problem is there's damage that happens to those cells and they become, they have gaps in them, hence the term leaky. So now we have these gaps in our cells. So what goes inside our GI tract hangs out, gets absorbed, maybe gets absorbed, and then what should be eliminated now floats into our bloodstream through these gaps. And that triggers our immune system because they're not supposed to be there. So our immune system is now like fighting more and more and more. And on top of an infection, that's a lot for the immune system to fight. And when, it, when it's fought long enough and hard enough to the point where it's just going to go, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm going to throw my hands up in the air. I'm just going to attack whatever I feel like attacking. And usually my genes are going to tell it what to attack and we end up with an autoimmune disease. All right. Okay. Thanks. So leaky gut is just a piece of the puzzle that is conquerable. Okay. All right. So we talked thyroid, we talked gut, we talked a little bit about depression. They all go hand in hand. But my favorite, 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 favorite thing for depression and to help the thyroid in, in general is vitamin D. Vitamin D will curb anxiety and depression like no other thing will. But you have to take it in certain doses. 
A lot of people will take 2,000 to 5,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. It's just standard dosage, okay? But what they'll find, is, especially with seasonal depression, is that they're just taking those dosages, you know, Feb November through February, and then calling it good. What I've found, and with I with all of these medical records that I've requested, thousands of them, I rarely see. I only have seen a handful of vitamin D statuses that were ideal or or really good. Most of them fall in that lower part of the normal range. So the normal range for vitamin D is between 30 and 100. So a lot of times I see most people's vitamin D statuses are in the 30s. Okay. And so that's, it's that's normal. It's still normal, but, okay. but you're not going to feel good when it's in the 30s. Hmm. You will feel like a million bucks. Like you, You'll feel really different when your vitamin D gets around 80. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now the way to do that is to take some pretty good doses of it, not just a simple standard two to five thousand. That's not going to cut it. Um, what I found in the research is, and a lot of people are worried about vitamin D toxicity. You can get toxicity if you're taking really high levels for a really long time, like four or five, six, seven years, long time. Oh, okay. All okay? right. But where we're talking three months. I'm going to jack this vitamin D up. I'm going to calm the immune system down with the vitamin D. So I'm, And I'm going to also curb the anxiety and depression because vitamin D is that powerful. So my three-month recommendation for vitamin D is 25,000 IUs of vitamin D per day. Wow. Okay. It's a lot different than just two to 5,000. And even the prescription dosage will be 50,000 IUs of vitamin D per week. 25,000 IUs of vitamin D per day for a month. Jack it up. And then you're going to back off to 20,000 IUs per day during month two. Month three, back down to 15,000 IUs per day. And then maintain at more of a 10,000 dosage. And That's a lot of amazing. times, yeah, a lot of times people will say, well, my labs went from 33 to 43 on well, so and so's product, like they're 50,000 milligram. Or 50,000 I use per day per week from their doctor. Whereas I can take someone three months from a 33 to an 83, where they're like, whoa, I didn't even know I could feel that can make that big of a difference. And I always get responses from specifically anxiety and depression just off of vitamin D. And we all know we could curb anxiety and depression tremendously right now with the previous year. So if you're listening to this and you're dealing with some anxiety or depression or both, start taking vitamin D and just see and then share it with your friends because it's that powerful. And I would rather we prevent the uglier stuff downstream than not teach people how simple vitamin D can be in regards to anxiety and depression. That's really amazing, Dr. Kylie, because I, I thought about, I've been thinking about vitamin D a lot since I spoke with you last time. And I was looking at my bottle of vitamin D last night and the recommended dose is one pill, which is a thousand mm -hmm. IU a day. So yeah, you're going to take 25 pills. <laughs> that's quite a, but that's quite a difference in terms of the dosage and how it could be so helpful. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So whatever bottle you have, if people have vitamin D, go look on the, go and look on your shelf, go see how much the, the serving size is and then take the necessary dosage. And if you want um, a vitamin D where you're not taking 25 pills at a, at a day, you can get some from my website at drkellyburton.com. Then you only need four or five capsules per day. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. 
35,000. Yeah. All there's right. liquid and there's um, capsules as well. All right. Liquid tastes like orange soda, so it's not terrible. Yummy. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Vitamin D, everybody. Especially even if you have autoimmune component, that's a big deal for calming the immune system now too. If and I'm not a fan of taking vitamins just to take vitamins. Like I, I don't I don't take supplements either. And so when I say vitamin D is that important, like vitamin D is the one thing I will always take. Hmm. The only All thing right. I will always take. It's that cool. It's that powerful. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Do you have anything else to share with us? This is just amazing. Quick recap. So we talked about the four factors, destroying your thyroid. Your doctor doesn't know, now you do. So one, the internal stressor. Is it the infection? Because that might be causing the inflammation as well. Make sure the gut and the liver are clear because that's where your T4 is getting converted into T3, which goes out and talks to all of the cells in your body and communicates with them. Gut, make sure it's done right and personalized to you. And then food sensitivities, it's a great place to start, but not a great place to end. Then depression and anxiety, curb it with some vitamin D. 25,000 IUs per day to 20,000 month two, 15,000 to month three, and then maintain it 10,000 for month four or for maintenance dose. And I go into all of this in further detail um, on my podcast, Beyond the Diagnosis with me, Dr. Kelly. Yeah, and you should listen to that. You said that, that you said that last time that if you really want to try and get a bigger understanding of all the different things you're talking about, listen to Beyond the Diagnosis with Dr. Kylie. Yeah. And is that a weekly or bi-weekly? How often is right that? Right now out? it's two times a week, but I'm about to be wow. I'm about drowning in my in my load. So it might become one time a week here in a couple of weeks. But right now and for the and since January, I've been going twice a week. I just had so many people reach out and want to be on the podcast um, that I was going as fast as I could and sharing them as fast as I could that it turned into a bi-weekly thing. And I've loved it. I love the podcast. I love educating on that platform. It's so easier to understand it in 45 minutes versus like a three to four minute TV segment, which I've done and Facebook lives. And so the podcasts are a great place to learn and to understand it fully because our bodies are incredible machines with multiple systems. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? I started last July. So we're about a year here. And I let technology scare me for too long. I should have started it way earlier. <laughs> but I started it last July. And then I'll be taking a break this July, closing up season two. Okay. So people can go back and start at the beginning. And there will be a lot to listen to and a lot of material there. Yeah, we're about top helpful. 50th episode. And on fifty on episode 50, there's a gift. So whatever episode you want to listen to, go listen to it. Then go on to episode 50 and you'll have a free gift on me. That's great. Thank you so much. And then they can go to your website too, which is drkylieburton.com. And I'll spell Kylie for you, although this will be in the show notes. But it's K-Y-L-I-E and Burton is B-U-R-T-O-N. There is no period between Dr. and Kylie. It's drkylieburton.com. And when you look at the show notes again, that those links will be in there, including the link to her podcast. So you can check it out. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on here and ad- educating us and um, really just such a wealth of information. You're such a natural instructor and I really appreciate all of your organization and your wealth of knowledge. It's just so helpful to everybody. So thank you so much. Thanks. Now we just have to go spread the word. Yes, and that's what we'll all do. And we'll help you on this end as much as we can too. So for those of you who've listened, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Alternative Health Tools. And if you'd like, you can go onto our website, alternativehealthtools.com. If you have a question or you want to leave a message, there's a little blue circle 
on the page and it has a little microphone icon in there, go ahead and click that and you can leave us a message. We would love to hear from you and you can follow us and keep up with all of our podcasts. Thank you. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media, visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information.